0: It is my great joy and my sincere expectation that God will come and meet with us this morning as I open the Word up to you. It's a joy to minister the Word to you. And this morning we will be examining 2 Peter verses 12 through 15 of chapter 1. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 15. And we will examine this morning the passion of a dying apostle as I have entitled my discourse to you this morning. Follow along as I read the text beginning in verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind, for we did not Follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We have before us in this text some amazing insight into the heart of a dying apostle. We are here allowed to hear the passion of his soul and permitted to frankly witness the priorities of his life you must understand that this is not merely some interesting information, but rather a text that emphasizes some very important spiritual truths that we should all grasp and emulate. Now, let me give you the context as we continue to go through verse by verse this epistle. Peter is now probably in his 70s. He is in a Roman prison. Undoubtedly, his wife has been imprisoned as well and other friends and family members, many that he has known and and uh, has loved or have been martyred. More will come. And the Lord Jesus has told him some 40 years prior in John chapter one, beginning in verse 18, that Peter would eventually be crucified. There, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And indeed, Peter followed the Lord. For 40 years, he has ministered now, knowing that this would be his ultimate fate that would usher him into glory. And we know also that when he was eventually crucified, he was he requested to be crucified upside down, believing that he was not worthy to die as the Lord did. So now Peter is facing imminent death at the hands of those that hate God and love their sin and. Soon he would even witness his wife being crucified, as I have told you before. We know from other historical records that he knelt before his wife as she hung on the cross and kept saying to her, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, until she finally passed through the veil. What a terrible thing that would be to watch one that you love tortured in such a way. And now he continues to tell us to remember the Lord, to remember many things about the realities of our salvation. And so he writes this second letter to remind his readers of all of the spiritual truths that are important, that are are essential for spiritual growth, for joy, for our ability to bear fruit and survive in a world that hates us. as I think about Peter it's obvious that he was a selfless servant he was a man that was committed not only to the Lord but as a shepherd he was committed to those that he shepherded and as a shepherd I know what it's like to be deeply concerned for those that you love I know because of my calling And what I will deal with, that many times you deal with people's sin, you deal with death, you deal with great difficulties, you deal with satanic deceptions, being hated by the world, and most of the life of a shepherd is lived in sorrow. Our world is very often filled with much sadness and much disappointment. It's a strange thing. To know that, especially as a pastor, very often you feel a solemn sadness. It's kind of always there. And yet, mixed with that is an inexpressible joy, knowing that God is in control and that you're serving Him. And many of you that serve the Lord in various ways understand that. And certainly, this would have been the heart of Peter as he suffered there in that Roman prison And knowing that his sheep were helpless and very vulnerable, not only to the wickedness of the world, but certainly to satanic deception, and knowing that many times they were foolish and they needed help, because of all of this, he was committed to reminding them of those essential truths that would sustain them in days to come. And so till his dying breath And even thereafter, he was consumed with proclaiming and protecting the truth, reminding us all of those things that are essential to our faith so that we could call them to mind. This is certainly a responsibility that we all must share. Now, before we examine the text, I want to give you four reasons why it is so important to be reminded. First of all, very simply, it's because we tend to forget How would you all like to have someone place a high school science test in front of you that you once took? Or a test in arithmetic or history or whatever it may be. Obviously, we forget much of what we once learned. But, you know, there's great power in our faith when we are not only reminded of the truths of Scripture through teaching and meditation and Bible reading, but also when we attend a baptism or when we partake of of communion or even when we come together and we see a marriage ceremony performed or even when we have a funeral and so many other things. When we sing hymns, we're reminded of the great truths, constantly reminded and repetition is crucial for memory. I know when I prepare a sermon, many times the things that I will say to you are more reminders than new truths. Sometimes there will be new truths that may be new for, for some of you, maybe not for others. But it's a constant mixing of things that God has given us in His Word so that you will learn them, so that you will know them, so that they will be a part of your life. And certainly it's always a struggle to keep things fresh because it's not like there's going to be something completely novel and new every time I stand before you or every time you read the Word. But God knows the importance of reminding us. For example, if you were to ask yourself, do I really remember the attributes of God? Can I really come along and, and, and recite them and, and think them through and think about the promises and all the encouragement that those things offer me? I would ask you, when was the last time you marveled at how and why God created all that he did? When was the last time you really were reminded of the various names that God uses to describe you? The benefits of salvation, the glories of heaven. Can you remember the ways that we are to live in order to manifest the fruits of the Spirit? Can you even remember the fruits of the Spirit? And I know I'm losing some of you here because we all have finite minds. We're unable to remember everything, so we constantly need to be reminded. Do you remember the essential elements of prayer? Do you remember the two-factored process of change in the Bible and how to apply that to your life? What it means to put off and to put off. Do you uh, remember what God teaches about angels and Satan and demons? Do you remember the essential elements of salvation? Would you be able to answer your children or a friend if they were to ask you to explain the origin of sin or depravity or the imputation of sin as you just think about salvation? Would you be able to think about grace and explain the elements that the Bible speaks of with respect to election and the calling that God gives to his own? Would you be able to describe the reason why Christ had to die? Would you be able to explain the significance and even the efficacy of the atonement? Would you be able to think through the very basics and explain the concept of of faith and repentance and conversion and union with Christ? Would you be able to explain justification and regeneration and sanctification and glorification? See, these are all basic things. And when we think about it, it's like, boy, you know what? We constantly need to be reminded of these essential truths. Otherwise, we begin to get real fuzzy on them. And suddenly you're confronted by someone that knows error better than you know truth and you begin to cave in. And you begin to waffle. And before you know it, you think, boy, you know what? That sounds really good. And then two weeks later, you're a Jehovah's Witness. That's how this thing can work. So we need to know these things and many more that I just mentioned. Not only because we simply forget them, but also secondly because... Knowing the truth, being reminded of the truth, is a safeguard against ten, uh, deception, against counterfeit theology. You know, I rejoice knowing you folks as well as I do. It would be very, very difficult for a deceiver to come into this church and trick you. Um, some charlatan from the, the from charismania, some faith healer, some uh, prosperity gospel person, whatever, even the more subtle things like the purpose driven life or whatever, that type of a person will not last long here. And it's because we have had such a commitment, all of us together, a commitment to constantly studying the word of God and being reminded of these essential truths because they are a safeguard against deception. We don't want to be like those that Paul described in Ephesians four, like Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul told Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Later on, in verse 14, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the tre- treasure which has been entrusted to you. And then, and then he says, remind them of these things, many things, remind them of these things. Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And then in chapter three, he goes on. He says, remind them of the of the perils of of apostasy and false teachers, he says, who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So being reminded of the truth. That only helps us because of our forgetfulness and is also a safeguard against deception. But thirdly, divine truth is crucial in our war against the flesh. There's a battle that is raging within us. Now, may I remind you that we would have never been saved. We would have never been saved apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. We were dead in our sins. We were nothing more than spiritual cadavers. Moreover, we would never grow into conformity to Christ apart from the energizing work of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. That's that process of sanctification. And that requires constant interaction with the word of God, constant learning, constant reminding regarding the Holy Spirit's role in, in this war against the flesh. Let me remind you of something. In Ezekiel 36 we read of the new covenant promises that God gave to Israel that will ultimately be inaugurated at the second coming of Christ when Israel will be restored and experience national salvation and so on but it also describes the the work of the Holy Spirit for all of us in the church age who are already recipients of the new covenant promises and in Ezekiel 36 in Uh, beginning in verse 25, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. In other words, I'm going to give you a new nature and I'm going to give you a new governing principle other than the flesh. I'm going to put that in you. And he says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to remove that rebellious, calloused, self-willed, hard heart that you have that is dead to spiritual life. And I'm going to give you one that is alive, one that is pliable, one that will be soft towards truth. And then he goes on and he says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my commandments. You see, folks, in salvation, there is forgiveness, there is regeneration, there's this transformation, there is a new birth that occurs, and there is the gift of the indwelling Spirit of God that energizes willful obedience. Now, you know from reading Scripture that if you're not careful, you can grieve the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit of God. If you do not respond to the revelation that God has given to you in his word, and certainly that requires ongoing reminders, ongoing teaching. You see, remember, there is a a battle between the flesh and the spirit. There is a war that goes on within us, a war against indwelling sin. Paul says in Galatians five, beginning in verse 16, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. And so he's saying, I want you to walk by the spirit, meaning I want you to surrender to the spirit of God as he has revealed himself in his word. I want you to allow him to dominate your life. I want you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit As Paul says in Colossians 3, 6, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the spirit, literally can be translated, be being kept filled with the spirit. So in other words, he's telling us, let the spirit of God control all that you do, live continually under the influence of the indwelling spirit as you surrender to him. Let the mind of Christ dominate your thinking and your character and your conduct because there's this ongoing battle in the Christian life, energized by the Holy Spirit, not the battle, but the victory over the battle. And the point of all of this is to say that we will never be able to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. We will never truly be filled with the Spirit apart from Bible knowledge apart from biblical obedience to that knowledge, living consistently with the truth. And none of that is going to happen unless we are constantly reminded of these truths. Everything in the world is designed to get you to forget, to get you to deny, to get you to compromise. So in order to win the battle against the flesh, we need to be reminded. One fourth reminder before we look at the text here in terms of what being reminded really will do for us. It's also a source of constant comfort and joy. Isn't it comforting when you hear the Word over again and you sing those hymns over again? It is to me. I think in Luke 2, remember when the angel announced the birth of Jesus? I bring you good news of great joy. You see, reading the Word... It's like being away from home. And I know many of you have been that way before, like being in another country. And you get a letter from home. What do you do with the letter? Well, you just read it once and throw it away, right? Of course not. You read it over and over and over in pictures. You pull out the pictures and you look at them. And that's the idea here. There's great comfort in the Word of God. God. You know, heaven is my home. This isn't my home. This isn't your home. I long to go home someday. I, I I want to be where my Lord is. He is the source of my joy. And therefore I want to be reminded constantly of my heavenly home. I want to be reminded of the nature of my salvation. I want to be reminded of the consummation of my salvation when I am finally home. It's a great source of comfort and joy. When I was a young man, and I think we've sung this hymn here as well, we used to sing a, a, a song. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. The idea of singing them over and over. The Word is a constant source of Joy and comfort. In Psalm Psalm 42.6, the psalmist describes being depressed. He says, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, what's he going to do? He's going to go take Prozac. No, he's going to remember the Lord. I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer. To the God of my life. Folks, the word is a song in the night. And you sing those songs of the word, not just hymns, but the truths of scripture. As the spirit of God brings them to your mind. And helps you to remember those glorious truths, which in turn bring comfort. In Psalm 77, the psalmist again was filled with depression and gloom. But found comfort when he began to recall the mighty deeds of God and focus on his goodness. There he said, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O oh, God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have, by your power, redeemed your people. And this morning I read to you a psalm that has ministered to me and to my dear wife in times of great difficulty, where we find comfort in that psalm as well as many others. Psalm 34. And especially I think of... The words in that psalm that says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste of the Lord and see that he is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, dear friends, because God knows the power of his word, he also knows that we need to constantly be reminded of it for these reasons. So he inspires his faithful apostle to record the significance of this matter. And as we examine the text this morning, you will just sense the passion in Peter's heart for us to be reminded of essential truths of our salvation. Now, I've divided these verses into three categories that I believe will help us grasp the fullness of what God intends. First, we will look at God's passion to remind Secondly, we will look at our need to recall. And thirdly, our responsibility to remind others. First of all, God's passion to remind. Notice what he says here in verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Well, what things? What's he referring to? Well, what he's already written, especially in verses 1 through 11. The idea of appropriating the divine power that we have been given to remember that he has given us everything we need for salvation, everything we need for sanctification, to remember that we need to pursue the list of virtues that will glorify God and give us assurance of salvation. And I believe that these things would also include the rest of what Peter will say regarding the cautions concerning false teachers. And by extension, ultimately, it would even include all that he has said in his first epistle. And you might even want to go beyond that and say that because all that he says has been inspired by God and thus inextricably bound to all of the rest of God's revelation, these things could ultimately refer to the totality of revelation found in Scripture. So in verse 12 he says, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though... You already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. Now, notice it is important, first of all, to know the truth. One cannot be reminded of that which one does not already know. So you have to know the truth. Plus, you have to, as he says, be established in the truth, which is present within you. Established in the original language is a word that means to. To, to set up or establish in a settled state or condition. In other words, the truths of Scripture cannot be some, some passing fancy or some some trifling theological intellectual type of knowledge, but rather a deep and an abiding conviction of your soul that motivates all that you do. So Peter is here describing mature, fruit-bearing believers who know and live and love the truth. Now, not everyone is there. Not all of you are there. People are on a continuum of their understanding of theology of the Word of God. And so it requires constant teaching, constant exhorting, so that everyone will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and be serious about all that God has commanded us to do. In fact, some would be so ignorant of Scripture that many of the things that I listed earlier would be things that are frankly foreign. And if that is true for you, you need to get serious about your Bible study so that you can learn these great truths, not just so that you can pass some test, but so that they can motivate you. And folks, let me tell you, when life is falling apart, you will have no place to stand except upon the rock, the Gibraltar of theology. And so you better know it. Don't wait until your life is falling apart and then say, oh boy, I better go to the Word and try to figure out who God is and what He wants me to know. No, you learn it before you get there. Prepare yourself. So Peter is passionate about this verses 13 and 14 says, and I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. You see, this is the heart of a faithful shepherd. He's devoted to preaching the whole counsel of God, evidenced by the rich, concentrated truths revealed in his epistle. And I might add here, this is not someone who wants to just remind you of the idea of, of how to be saved. You know, I, I've been in churches before where every time you meet together, you hear another evangelistic message. He, he's, he's doing far more here. And this is far more than, than some type of seeker-sensitive sermonette that he's reminding us of. He's reminding us of the essentials of the faith. It would be so tragic to be in a church where you're not reminded of the basics over and over again. The whole counsel of God. Not just a few pet doctrines. It's so sad to see people slowly dying of spiritual malnutrition. And many people are starving for truth. If I can digress for a moment, I'll give you an example of what happens when people have not been taught the truth and when they're not reminded of the truth. I receive a number of, of emails uh, during the week. And one brother uh, sent me an email that I found most interesting. And I looked up a website on a church. It's Christ's Family Community Church in Hastings, Minnesota. And when you look on their website, you will see this, this video of this very interesting looking room. And underneath the video, it says, and I quote, imagine, if you will, walking into a men's room where the first thing you see is a pair of chrome hubcaps on the wall. You look around and see a clock made of a rotor and brake pads. There is a huge 1989 Pennzoil sign mounted above a towel dispenser. As you step into the room, you can't help but notice a framed painting of a Renault racer, a parking meter mounted on the wall, and a, quote, no parking sign above the toilet. The wall tile is done in a black and white checked flag motif. Centered on the back wall is a picture of a Ziegler cat motorcycle and the centerpiece of it all is a black masterfully airbrush painting partition wall painted partition wall complete with flames that look so real you might get burned if you stand too close. Where do you suppose you are the old brickyard at the Indianapolis 500. Nope. You've just entered the men's room at Christ's family church. They go on to say does that come as a bit of a surprise. We hope so, because part of the mission statement of at CFC is to, quote, proclaim God's reconciling love through Jesus Christ to neighbors, co-workers, and friends. The men's room is just one way of the many ways this church is trying to accomplish this mission. As Pastor Paris likes to say, quote, we are willing to go to any lengths, use any means necessary to bring people closer to Christ. I went on to say, our men's room gives members a reason to invite people to church. That is what CFC is all about, reaching those who have become disenchanted with, quote, religion, but are searching for a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you come, you may want to stay for a cup of freshly brewed latte or espresso of your choice and experience God in a unique atmosphere, end quote. Folks, compare that to what Paul told Timothy. Timothy, I want you to preach the Word when it's popular and when it's not. Because a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn aside unto myths. And I grieve for these dear people. Without realizing it, they are ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for that is the power of God unto salvation. They've neither been taught nor have they been reminded. And folks, this is what happens when the centrality of the Word is replaced by the insanity of the Word of man. So Peter wants to stir you up by way of reminder. This is God's passion. And he wants to do so by reminding us all of the transforming truths of God. He's not ashamed of the Gospel. He wants to stir up. In the original language, that's the idea of arousing someone from a slumber. It means to completely awaken from sleep. To wake up thoroughly. And here, in this context, it's the idea of awakening people from spiritual lethargy. Doing what is necessary to keep us awake. To keep us vigilant. So that we will not compromise. No doubt Peter remembered disobeying the Lord's warning in Luke 22 when the Lord said in the garden of Gethsemane to the disciples, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation, but as you will recall, they fell asleep. They entered into that temptation and later they succumbed to it. Many Christians are like the sluggard described in Proverbs 24, verse 30, a sluggard that was asleep to the issues of life. Certainly it has spiritual implications as well. There we read, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense." And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Dear friends, likewise, spiritual laziness will lead you to spiritual poverty. So we all need to be stirred up by way of reminder. We need to be reminded that we are not as spiritual as we think we are. We need to all be reminded to be suspect of our spirituality. We need to be reminded that we need to get serious about our spiritual condition. We need to be reminded that we need to constantly be uprooting the thistles in the garden of our life, lest they choke out the vine of fruitfulness in our spiritual life and leave us barren, rendering us, as Peter said earlier in verse 8, useless and unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So constant reminders of doctrinal truth will strengthen the foundation of our faith by exerting influence over our hearts and minds. It's fascinating to think of the many ways that God has been passionate to remind us of those things that are truly important about our faith. I thought about a few of them. They're not necessarily in this text, but we see them in other passages of, of, of Scripture See them as we look around our life and our world. Certainly, one of the main ways God reveals himself to us and constantly reminds us is through his word. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. And we have so many passages that speak to that. You know, I thought about even our calendar. You realize it is divided into days of seven. Ten would work out much better, much easier, but it's divided into seven. And God intended it that way as a constant reminder to the world of his creative work. He's serious. He's passionate about reminding us. I look around at creation and God is constantly reminding me and all of us of who he is. I think of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. It's an ongoing reminder of the glory of God and His creation. I think of God who instituted the Old Testament Passover. That Old Testament Passover was designed to look forward to the sacrifice of Christ that would someday come. And then at the Lord's Supper, Jesus transformed that Passover Seder into a new ceremony designed to look back upon His atoning work. And every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are being reminded of those glorious truths. In fact, the Lord said, this do in remembrance of me. In 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul told Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship. He says it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will also, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. And Paul reminded Titus in Titus 3, beginning in verse 1, to remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, and on and on it goes. Dear friends, we would do well to never neglect the constant reminders that God gives us of Himself, all that He has done for those who love Him. Well, That's some thoughts on God's passion to remind. Secondly, we see in this text our need to recall. In verse 15 he says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. And here again we see the divine urgency in his diligence to remind us. You see, he has already expressed the priority of stirring us up by way of remembrance. As long as he is alive. But now he's saying, even after I die, even after I pass through the veil, I want to continue to remind you. And he will do that through his written word, through divine inspiration. He was diligent in recording these truths for us to be able to recall. He doesn't want us to forget. And especially because of what he knows is coming within the church. And what is that? False teachers. False teachers. False teachers who will arise and have incredibly ingenious deceptions. And unless you know the truth and you know it well, you will be deceived. So he's concerned about that. I think of an example in the Old Testament where people forgot the truth because the prophets failed to remind them because of the hardness of their heart. In Jeremiah 2 and verse 11 God says, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns. This is number two, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words... The people compromised with the pagan world all around them. They abandoned God. They abandoned the truths of His Word. They abandoned the fountain of salvation. And they replaced the limitless reservoir of mercy and grace with a cistern of their own making. One that wouldn't even hold water. And so God judged them. And in his judgment, he reminded them of who he was. We read another example of the importance of recalling these truths and what happens when you don't. In Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. They've forgotten the truth. (laughs) They've they, gone to another gospel here. He says, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then if you read that text, you can see that he went on to remind them of his apostolic authority. He went on to remind them in, in Galatians of the revelation that he had received from God and the importance of knowing it and living it. He went on to remind them once again of the glorious truths of justification by faith and many other crucial doctrines that are fundamentally important to our faith, especially the doctrine of justification and sanctification. And I've, I asked myself when I was living with this text, especially this week, I wonder how long it would take for me and for you to begin to drift into error and compromise if we weren't constantly reminded of the truth. wonder how long it would take. I confess that I'm saddened and frankly concerned for some that seem to find every excuse to avoid opportunities to be taught, avoid opportunities to be reminded, even in this church, all of the things that we offer and all of the things that God offers outside of this church. There's so many things. And for you, I... Grieve because I know that you are easy prey for false teachers. And I know that your life is frankly on the slippery slope of compromise and sin. And that slippery slope will inevitably lead people to forgetting about the truths of the Word of God and the truths of our salvation and all that is entailed in that. And we begin to slide down the slope until eventually we forfeit blessing in our life and we live under the cloud of divine chastening. And it's a sad thing to see that happen. And it's a sad thing to know that some of you are living there. Not because there aren't opportunities to be reminded, but because you refuse to avail yourself of them. It's fascinating. Over and over in the Old Testament, we see God using His prophets to remind the people of all that He has done for them. All that He is. I think of the song of Moses in Exodus, Exodus 15. We won't take time to go there, but there is a description of the faithfulness and power of, of of our redeeming God. And Moses goes through the ways that He delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. I think of uh, Ezra's prayer in Nehemiah 9. Remember when, when he recited God's marvelous works of redemption. A very long prayer. And it was a prayer that we know initiated three hours of national confession and worship in the people. Constantly God reminding them, rehearsing all the different things historically that He has done. I think when I was a little boy of another little chorus we used to sing, you can tell that hymns and choruses have a lot of power in my life. Um, We used to sing a little song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Remember that? Some of you nodding your head. See what God has done. You know, this is a great thing for all of us to do with one another. To to just sometimes sit down and just take time to count our blessings. To think through all the ways that God has been faithful to us in our lives. To do that with our children. To take our children and set them down and say, sweetheart, son, daughter, whatever. Whatever. I want to remind you of some of the things that God has done in this family. I want to remind you of the way that He demonstrated His mercy and His grace to your father and to your mother. I want to remind you of the ways that He brought us together in faith, believing. I want to remind you of, and then you start naming different things, so that that becomes a part of your children. That's the importance of having these things brought to remembrance, so that, we can recall them, especially in days of great difficulty. So we've seen in this text God's passion to remind and our need to recall, and by implication, thirdly, our responsibility to remind others. And here I'm going to go just for a moment to another text. If you want to turn with me, you can. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6, God speaks powerfully in this passage. Actually, let me begin in verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanded you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Oh, child of God, how we should all be so, so careful with this same spiritual concept, especially in this land in which we live. And many of our children know nothing of the grace and goodness of God that has brought us to this place of prosperity. And by the same token, many of them know nothing of the great catastrophe in which we live because we live in a nation filled with hypocrisy, a nation of apostasy, a nation where I believe, according to Romans 1, that God has given people over to a worthless and reprobate mind, allowing us to experience the full expression of the consequences of our iniquities. So we need to remind Remind, remind lest we forget. I would challenge all of us not only to be serious about being reminded, but also be serious about reminding others, those that we love, especially our children and those who are less mature in the faith. And I might also add, especially those of you who are approaching the sunset years of life, you have so much to offer all of us. And I believe by implication even in this text we see this with Peter. How important it is for us to be reminded of the great things that God has done from spiritual warriors who have lived a long and meaningful life. I searched many places to find someone who had written on this particular subject and the importance of reminding others that I believe is inherent in this text. And I finally came across one by an old theologian, Albert Barnes. He was a man educated at Princeton years ago before Princeton became apostate. He lived between 1798 and 1870. And here's what this great old Presbyterian minister had to say, and I quote, We may learn from what Peter says here that it is the duty of those who are drawing near to the eternal world and who are the friends of religion to do all they can that the truths of Christianity may be always had in remembrance. Every man's experience of the value of religion and the results of his examination and observation should be regarded as the property of the world and should not be lost. As he is about to die, he should seek by all the means in his power that those truths should be perpetuated and propagated. This duty may be discharged by some in counsels offered to the young. As they are about to enter on life, giving them the results of their own experience, observation, and reflections on the subject of religion. By some, by an example consistent that it cannot be soon forgotten, a legacy to friends and to the world of much more value than accumulated silver and gold. By some, by solemn warnings or exhortations on the bed of death. In other cases, By a recorded experience of the conviction and value of religion and a written defense of its truth and illustration of its nature for every man who can write a good book owes it to the church and the world to do it by others. He goes on to say, in leaving the means of publishing and spreading good books in the world, he does a good service to his own age and to future ages who records the results of his observations and his reflections in favor of the truth in a book that shall be readable And though the book itself may be ultimately forgotten, it may have saved some persons from ruin and may have accomplished its part in keeping up the knowledge of the truth in his own generation. Barnes went on to say, Peter, as a minister of the gospel, felt himself bound to do this. And no men have so good an opportunity of doing this now as ministers of the gospel No men have more ready access to the press. No men have so much certainty that they will have the public attention if they will write anything worth reading. No men commonly in a community are better educated or more accustomed to write. No men by their profession seem to be so much called to address their fellow men in any way in favor of the truth. And it is a matter of great marvel that men who have such opportunities and who seem especially called to the work do not do more of this kind of service. In the cause of religion, themselves soon to die, how can they help desiring that they may leave something that shall bear an honourable though humble testimony to truths which they so much prize and which they are appointed to defend? A tract may live long after the author is in the grave, and who can calculate the results which have followed the efforts of Baxter and Edwards to keep up in the world the remembrance? of the truths which they deemed so much value. Finally, he says, this little epistle of Peter has shed light on the path of men now for 1,800 years and will continue to do it until the second coming of the Savior. End quote. My friends, this was the passion of a dying apostle. May it be ours as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your passion for us to know You as You have revealed Yourself in Scripture. Thank You, Holy Spirit, that You dwell within us and You bring to remembrance all of the glorious truths with respect to our salvation. Lord, may we be vigilant to not only be reminded and to look for every opportunity to be reminded, but may we also be vigilant to remind others of all that is important, that you might receive all of the glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to Pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information, or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harrell's messages, please visit olive tree resources.org.